Good day, and thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Q1 FY22 Snowflake Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you should require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker for today, Mr. Jimmy Sexton, Head of Investor Relations. Thank you, sir. Please go ahead. Start over. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us on Snowflake's Q1 Fiscal 2022 Earnings Call. Joining Frank Slootman, our Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Mike Scarpelli, our Chief Financial Officer. During today's call, we will review our financial results for first quarter Fiscal 2022 and discuss our guidance for the second quarter and full year Fiscal 2022. During today's call, we will make forward-looking statements, including statements related to the expected performance of our business, future financial results, strategy, products, and features, long-term growth, and overall future prospects. These statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, which could cause them to differ materially from actual results. Information concerning those risks is available in our earnings press release, distributed after market close today, and in our SEC filings, including our most recently filed Form 10-K for the fiscal year ended January 31, 2021, and the Form 10-Q for the quarter ended April 30, 2021, that we will file with the SEC. We caution you to not place undue reliance on forward-looking statements and undertake no duty or obligation to update any forward-looking statements as a result of new information, future events, or changes in our expectations. We'd also like to point out that on today's call, we will report both GAAP and non-GAAP results. We use these non-GAAP financial measures internally for financial and operational decision-making purposes and as a means to evaluate period-to-period comparisons. Non-GAAP financial measures are presented in addition to and not as a substitute for financial measures calculated in accordance with GAAP. To see the reconciliations of these non-GAAP financial measures, please refer to our earnings press release distributed earlier today and our investor presentation, which are posted at investors.snowflake.com. A replay of today's call will also be posted on the website. With that, I would now like to turn the call over to Frank. Thanks, Jimmy. Good afternoon, everybody. We reported strong Q1 results with 110% year-on-year growth to a $214 million in product revenues, reflecting strength in snowflake consumption. Remaining performance obligations grew 206% year-on-year to $1.4 billion, indicating strength in sales across the board. While maintaining a net revenue retention rate of 168%, we also generated $23 million of adjusted free cash flow in the quarter. We are expanding our geographical scope in all three major theaters. Both EMEA and APJ have breakout bookings quarters. EMEA grew more than 200%, and Asia Pacific grew more than 300% year over year. At the end of Q1, we had 104 customers with over $1 million in product revenue, an increase from 77 in the previous quarter. During Q1, we had key enterprise wins, including Datadog, Equifax, and Walgreens Boots Alliance. Our growth trajectory is a function of several factors. First, the modernization from on-premise to cloud computing is changing the landscape. Customers are moving workloads to public clouds to take advantage of unlimited capacity at scale 
and a utility model that lets them pay by the drink. Secondly, through Snowflake's cloud-native software architecture, customers achieve remarkable gains in performance, economy, and data governance. Third, customers are now seeking to transform from a world where data informs people to one in which data drives operations directly. Data drives digital transformation. Data is the beating heart of the modern enterprise, and Snowflake is becoming core infrastructure to the digital economy. The data economy has seen some lift from the pandemic dislocation, but these are long-term secular trends enabled by new technology. Aside from pent-up demand, the possibilities are only limited now by one's imagination and budgets. Part of our growth at scale strategy has been our transition to the data cloud. Our original focus of targeting legacy data warehouse workloads is going strong, and that will continue indefinitely. It has been a tried and true strategy for Snowflake. Snowflake has now processed more than a billion queries in a day, and that number grew more than 100% year on year. But our view of the future is more ambitious. We seek to build and deploy core infrastructure for the digital economy, and the data cloud is exactly that. Data cloud is an active, dynamic hub of thousands of data relationships between Snowflake parties. Many of these relationships are with data providers through the Snowflake data marketplace, but many others are with key business partners. Data providers like ZoomInfo and Foursquare are using the data cloud to unlock more value to their business. Healthcare organizations are using data insights to improve quality of patient care. Retailers like Albertsons are sharing data with consumer packaged goods companies, and media companies are accelerating advertising revenue with the Snowflake data marketplace. Historically, data warehouses refreshed through large batch processes on a periodic basis. That's because data was force-fed into them from different sources. Today, the data cloud is near real-time, with data continuously pulsing through the cloud, being analyzed and acted on, lights out and at light speed. There are no limits anymore on how many analytical processes can run concurrently against the same data and how frequently they are run. This has changed people's perceptions what is possible. The data cloud is the sum of all data networking relationships that are active at any point in time. We track these relationships through what we call edges. At the end of the quarter, 15% of our rapidly expanding customer base had data edges in place with external Snowflake accounts compared to 10% a year ago. And the number of edges this period grew 33% quarter on quarter. Customers share data for many reasons that are specific to them and their industries, but they all seek to enrich their data, gain more effective analytical insights, and do so faster and more cost-effectively. Snowflake's focus on vertical industries is well on their way. We've organized our organization around six core verticals. They are financial services, healthcare and life sciences, retail and consumer packaged goods, advertising, media and entertainment, technology, and public sector. This vertical industry focus will intensify across our sales, marketing, alliances, product, and service organizations. As a result, we expect Snowflake to become as visible in large enterprise IT environments as in the line of business themselves. While the company maintains a geographical backbone in markets around the world, the industry aperture is rapidly coming into focus. Partners are also stepping up to Snowflake, which is a key element of our strategy. 
Deloitte crossed the $100 million mark on Snowflake business, which was their fastest ramp ever from a standing start for an alliance. We will host the annual Snowflake Summit June 8th through 10th. More than 50,000 attendees are expected, including 60-plus customer sessions with the likes of Adobe, BlackRock, Capital One, Goldman Sachs, Instacart, Kraft Heinz, JetBlue, Morgan Stanley, and NBC Universal. We invite investors to attend, get a better understanding of our data cloud strategy, and hear the latest news on platform enhancements, optimizations, data governance, and vertical industry use cases. In closing, Q1 was a great start to the fiscal year, and we are much looking forward to the balance of the year. With that, I will now turn the call over to Mike. Thank you, Frank. We saw continued momentum in Q1 with another quarter of great execution to start our fiscal year. Our Q1 product revenues were $214 million, representing 110% year-over-year growth. Our remaining performance obligations were $1.4 billion. Median telecom, technology, and financial services customers drove the outperformance, and we saw meaningful growth from our healthcare customers. Our strong RPO results reflect more multi-million dollar relationships with particular strength in the telecom and technology sectors. Of the $1.4 billion in RPO, we expect approximately 54% to be recognized as revenue in the next 12 months. Growth in our existing customer base continues to propel our results. We added 393 net new customers in Q1, including three seven-figure new logos these customers only accounted for 1% of revenues. We are hyper-focused on penetrating the largest enterprises globally, as we believe these organizations provide the largest opportunity for account expansion. We are already benefiting from our maturing enterprise sales efforts. In Q1, the number of customers with greater than $1 million in trailing 12-month product revenue increased to 104, up from 77 last quarter. When we expand within our largest customers, we typically replace more than one solution. In many cases, we replace on-premise and first-generation cloud solutions, and we address new workloads. Snowflake creates use cases that were previously impossible. This is what fuels our 168% net revenue retention rate, and we remain confident that our net revenue retention will stay above 160% for the fiscal year. We continue to invest in our international opportunity and believe there is significant runway ahead of us. As Frank mentioned, we are seeing tremendous growth within EMEA and APAC geographies as our sales organization takes shape. We believe we are in the early innings of addressing the largest enterprises abroad. First quarter was a record hiring quarter for us. We onboarded 436 net new employees. We continue to target the highest performing employees, prioritizing talent acquisition of product, engineering, and enterprise sales groups. Turning to margins, on an on-gap basis, our product gross margin was 72%, up 600 basis points from last year. Favorable cloud service agreements, growing scales across regions, and our enterprise customer success all contribute to steady gross margin improvements. Operating margin was negative 16%, benefiting from revenue outperformance. Our adjusted free cash flow margin was 10%, positively impacted by strong collections from Q4 bookings and operating margin outperformance. As a reminder, adjusted free cash flow excludes the impact of net cash paid or received on both employee and employer payroll tax-related items on employee stock option transactions. This quarter, we saw a $10 million impact from those items. While we continue to focus on long-term margin expansion and profitability, 
we do experience free cash flow seasonality. In fiscal 21, Q1 and Q4 were our strongest free cash flow quarters, while Q2 was our weakest. We expect to experience this seasonality in future periods. We maintained our strong cash position with approximately $5.1 billion in cash, cash equivalents, and short-term and long-term investments. Snowflake Ventures leverages this position to evaluate strategic opportunities with announced investments in ThoughtSpot and DataIQ in the quarter. <clears throat> we continue to pro provide high-growth companies with capital to engage more with the data cloud. Now let's turn to our guidance and outlook. For the second quarter of fiscal 2022, we expect product revenues between $235 and $240 million, representing year-over-year -year growth between 88 and 92%. Turning to margins, we expect on a non-GAAP basis negative 19% operating margin, and we expect 297 million weighted average shares outstanding. For the full year fiscal 2022, we expect product revenues between 1.02 and $1.035 billion, representing year-over-year -year growth between 84 and 87%. This includes an estimated negative $13 million impact from a storage compression improvement we just introduced that benefits our customers. We regularly introduce product and performance enhancements that lower the cost for our customers to run Snowflake, and we believe this will drive more compute within the platform longer term. Turning to profitability, we expect on a non-GAAP basis 72% product gross margin, negative 17% operating margin, and break-even adjusted free cash flow, and we expect 299 million weighted average shares outstanding. Our outlook still assumes that we will add more than 1,200 net new employees during the fiscal year. With respect to COVID, our forecast assumes that we will continue to work remotely for the foreseeable future with an increase to travel expenses in the back half of the year. While we anticipate an eventual return to the office, we do not have a specific timeline for that goal. And lastly, we will host our first virtual investor day on June 10th in conjunction with Snowflake Summit. You can register for the event at investors.snowflake.com. With that operator, you can now open up the line for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, just as a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star and then the number one on your telephone keypad. So our first question comes from the line of Brent Braislin with Piper Sandler. Thanks. Uh, Mike, maybe start with you and a quick follow-up for Frank. Um, Consumption in Q1 here was, was very strong, $35 million increase in product revenue and another triple-digit product growth quarter. As you look at kind of Q1 consumption trends, um, any seasonality clearly didn't show up. Was that surprising? Any other surprises just as you looked at individual uh, uh, customer consumption trends here that drove the down performance in Q1? Remember, our revenue is based on actual customer consumption. It's not a ratable recognition. So we, we did have, as I mentioned, we did have some outperformance in some specific customers, and part of that is tied to certain projects they're working on. And just because a customer consumes a certain amount one quarter doesn't mean they're going to consume that same amount next quarter if they're not running those same projects. And so um, um, we were very happy with the, um, the revenue outperformance in Q1. And um, um, our guidance reflects where we think we're going to be for the balance of the year. Got it. And then, Frank, just following up for you here, as you think about kind of the data sharing opportunity, 
clearly seems to be catching on like wildfire, uh, so much so you're starting to see the creation of even new open source projects that are also tied to data sharing. As you think about the 27 net new million dollar plus customers, do you think data sharing is, is now contributing to these uh, million dollar plus customers or do you think a, a bulk of the big spend is still tied to kind of replacement opportunity around data warehousing and, and the data share drivers still still to come? Well, the, the, you know, Brent, the answer is really, uh, you know, both. You know, customers need to walk before they run. So, you know, a lot of their initial focus is on, on workload transitions um, and, and so on. But, you know, everybody has a very, very keen view in terms of, you know, where they want to be, where they're going to be, uh, you know, over time. And uh, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, data sharing is absolutely essential. You know, it, it will really enable uh, data sciences in order to create context around data, in order to enrich data, uh, to really fully uh, reach that potential. I mean, it's taken us some time to to really evangelize this this whole idea. Uh, but, you know, as you said, it is, uh, it is resonating very, very aggressively uh, in the marketplace. We have a lot going on in our vertical markets that are, you know, very specific uh, to those contexts, you know, very specific to the unique circumstances of vertical industry. So we're, we're really excited. We're very well positioned for it. We have really developed our uh, our data cloud and our uh, our Snowflake data marketplace to the point where it's it's completely operational. And hope we'll see you, uh, you know, at our uh, investor day because not only want to talk about it, we're also going to show you a bunch of stuff and see, see how far we've come in that area. Looking forward to it. Thanks, uh, Frank, Mike, for uh, another uh, great quarter here. Thanks. Bye. Your next question comes from the line of Keith Weiss with Morgan Stanley. Excellent. Uh, thank you, guys, and, and, and very nice quarter. Um, Frank, I wanted to continue the discussion on, on, on edges um, and, and the percentage of customers that are kind of adding the edges going from, from 10 to 15 percent. and. Um, the amount of edges of 33% quarter on quarter. Is that something we should think about as is going to directly impact consumption? Does that, have you seen that the more edges the customer have, the more data consumption is going on within their, their data warehouse? Or is this more of a construct about stickiness? Once, once you get ingrained with all these partners, you're never going to stop using the Snowflake solution. How should we think about the, like, the financial impact of this growth in edges? Well, uh, you know, the answer is, is both. Uh, obviously, it's, it's going to make things, uh, you know, incredibly sticky. But, you know, for us to designate something uh, as an edge, you know, it has to have a minimal amount of time in terms of durable uh, consumption. So there is there's very much a consumption uh, dimension to these edges that we track uh, and monitor. Otherwise, we don't consider it an edge uh, in our world. In other words, they have to be durable and stable. Uh, because, you know, a lot of data relationships are, are, are transient. They exist for a period of time. They exist for a project, maybe a trial, you know, whatever it is. But that's not, that, that's also a metric that we, uh, that, that we follow where we really look for what we call stable or, uh, or durable edges. So they exist over a period of time. They drive consistent consumption. So, uh, so the answer is absolutely both to your, uh, to your question. Got it. If I could sneak in one follow up, uh, for, for Mike, that, that the 27, uh, customers getting to that million dollar plus level this quarter. Uh, that's a real eye popping number. I think that's more than you did in the first three quarters all of last year. Anything in particular getting that motion going faster? And, and, and on the other side of the equation, is that a number we could expect to see on a go forward basis or 
is that kind of too high of an expectation to have for the remainder of the year? Well, I'm not going to guide to million-dollar customers. All I will say is there's a number of, as there was going into this quarter, we had a number of customers on the cusp of going to a million, and we continue to see um, a number, and I think it's going to be very strong growth. But what I want to remind people is, is when we land a customer, it takes many times six to nine months. I think it's um, closer to nine months before a customer actually starts to consume at their contract rate. And so a lot of this is the impact of really focusing on larger customers over the last um, year and a half that we're starting to see that pay off. But what I will say is of that 104 customers, only I think about 25% of those are actually um, majors, and then the balance is um, enterprise customers. So think of that Fortune 500, um, only about 25% are Fortune 500. The others are across the board in customers. And my point there is even small companies can be big consumers of Snowflake. And um, there's a lot of them, as I said, that are just on that cusp. So we expect that to continue. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chris. Our next question comes from the line of Derek Woodward Kelly. Great. Uh, congrats on a, on a great quarter. Um, Frank, what, what's, love to hear about what's causing the breakout and, and growth in international regions. I know you guys had some leadership changes. You know, I'm sure you're feeding more headcount there. Um, so how much is, is kind of your own efforts versus other factors like market awareness or growing cloud acceptance or anything else you'd call out? No, it's uh, it's exactly what you just said. I mean, we, we just needed to properly operationalize ourselves uh, in these geographies. You know, as you know, it's market by market. We have to have the correct leadership in place. Uh, you know, we have made, you know, a lot of leadership changes in these regions that we're very pleased with. And, you know, when you have a great product like Snowflake, I mean, you, the impact of that, you know, uh, is going to come fast and furiously. So, uh, you know, I'm personally going to, you know, invest a bunch of time, you know, uh, in, in, in Europe, given my own background, uh, because I think the opportunity is uh, is tremendous. So we're, we're excited that we actually see these regions coming online and uh, and, and contributing, uh, and then we expect that to continue. Um, you know, we're very happy with the latest changes we made in Asia-Pacific as well. We have very high expectations of Japan. Um, obviously, A and Z, you know, and there's, there's other markets where we're, we're going to be starting up as well. That's great. And, and maybe one for Mike. Um, you know, I mean, numbers look great across the board. But the one outlier was the, the Fortune 500, which looked like a, a kind of a slower net ad in Q1. Anything you could kind of speak to this number and, and maybe seasonality or, or, or thoughts around, you know, how to, what to expect going forward? Um, well, you know, these large accounts um, are very, very long sales cycles, and you are going to see lumpiness in the additions. Um, obviously, Q4 was a strong quarter, and as one would expect, um, that's just landing the customer. That doesn't mean it contributed to revenue. Um, as I said, most of those um, Fortune 500 we landed in Q4, we've seen virtually no revenue from them yet today. I can't, I can't stress that enough. And given Q4 is the end of a commission year for people in accelerators, reps do everything natural to close everything in the in, in the end of that commission year. So I fully expect um, we'll continue to close Fortune 500 the balance of the year, and um, it's all based upon when the customer is ready to begin that journey. 
That's great. Okay, thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Cash Rangan with Goldman Sachs. Thank you very much. Congratulations from the quarter. Um, uh, two questions. One is that you talked about um, never-ending replacement of data warehousing. If you could just expand on that, I'm fascinated by it because we seem to think that at least I think that the data warehousing is just a small sub-segment of the database market. But, but your comments seem to suggest that uh, it's, it's a longer-term, longer-tailed growth opportunity that that very core of the business. And one from one for you, Mike. I know that, uh, uh, that for your guidance, it doesn't look like uh, you're assuming a big flow through of this beat. Is that again because you do not want to forecast increases in consumption revenue? Is that why the revenue forecast for the upcoming quarter is conservative? Thank you so much. Yeah, Cash Frank. Um, yeah, we're we're actually super early innings on uh, on, on replacing these legacy, uh, you know, on-premise data warehouse installations. Um, you know, it's actually, actually, you see that in uh, in some of Teradata's numbers that they're actually, you know, hanging on to their business. And you know, one of the reasons has been, you know, we we think Snowflake has really been the only company that's been successful in uh, in transitioning these legacy systems. Um, you know, we we've not seen it done successfully by the by the public cloud companies. So uh, most of that opportunity is still there and 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 it's still coming. That's why I think it it, it is for all intents and purposes. Indefinitely, uh, so so much of our business is actually not coming from uh, you know from those sources, but uh, our expectation is that it will continue to contribute materially to our business for for a very long period of time. Uh, on your question, Cash, on the beat, um, we did flow the beat through to the full year guidance plus about a million more, but we also had the headwind going to the full year, as I mentioned. We introduced new storage compression technology that we literally just rolled out. Based upon the early feedback of that, um, it's going to take about 13 million of our revenue um, away from the company because the, the economics of our storage is so much better for our customer with that compression, and much higher than we were expecting it to be. Um, so which is a good thing for our customers. In longer term, it's going to drive more. Um, it's going to cause customers to put more data in Snowflake, which will ultimately drive more consumption. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Frank, if I could just follow up very quickly, the cloud-based, the, the hyperscalers, their own data warehouse uh, cloud offerings, why is it that Snowflake's been able to keep them at bay? I know they're partners of yours, uh, but that doesn't get in the way of them trying to compete in this market. Any structural barriers and advantages that you those guys have against the, the hyperscalers that have their own cloud-based data warehouses? Thank you so much, and that's it. Well, you know, I uh, I can go on and on about what all the reasons are, but you know, for the purposes of this call, you know, one of the things that that makes Snowflake completely different is that you know our founding team started with a clean sheet of paper. Uh, they obviously were were deeply steeped in in database uh, technology over a very long period of time, and they were looking to to absolutely not carry any legacy forward uh, that they that they didn't like. And really reinvent architecturally for cloud scale computing, which is very, very different from on-premise. So it was incredibly different, uh, very, very innovative. Uh, as a result, you know, we're not straddling the on-premise and, and, uh, and public cloud environments. We're only in the public cloud. Um, and it, it's very important. I mean, you look at a lot of the public cloud companies, they have carried not, not only architecture, but actual code forward from on-premise environment. And they've, they've tried to evolve that and adapt that. The thing that we always say is that, look, you know, um, 
it's hard to catch up when you're not sitting on a, on a good architecture. You're only going to get farther uh, farther behind. Architecture matters. It matters a whole lot, and this is really what the, the strength of Snowflake is rooted in its core architecture, something we should never lose sight of. Your next question comes from the line of Kirk Matern with Evercore ISI. Uh, yeah, thanks uh, very much, and congrats on the quarter. Frank, I was wondering if you could maybe just expand a little bit on your comments on the verticals. Uh, it seems to me when we start thinking about the, the data sharing opportunity, landing some of those key beachhead clients in each vertical is going to be really important to sort of build out you know, beyond that. And I guess along this lines, I was just kind of curious where you think you are in each of those six verticals, if there's a couple that are maybe ahead of the game on sort of building out sort of real market knowledge, having salespeople that understand the, the intricacies of each of those verticals versus maybe the ones that you still need to do some work on. Thanks. Yeah, that's kind of a, you know, broad-ranging uh, question. And, again, you know, <laughs> definitely uh, come and see us uh, at, at Summit because we're going to, showcase uh, a lot of customers in these verticals. So you can hear directly from them in terms of what they're doing and, and how they're doing it. But our largest vertical, and this, this may actually surprise some people, is actually in media, is in, in streaming content uh, and, and, and advertising. It's actually not that much of a surprise uh, because they are, uh, you know, a digital-to-consumer business. There's no other way for uh, for companies like, like Hulu and Disney and and Comcast and NBC Universal uh, to render businesses, and they are very sophisticated, very advanced, uh, and obviously because of the dominance in advertising, uh, you know, the likes of Amazon, Facebook, and, and Google, this is very, very important, uh, you know, to them how to develop uh, their businesses. And Snowflake is really a, a key enabler, uh, you know, for that, uh, for many reasons. And uh, you know, so that's just one example of a business that is extremely active with, with Snowflake at this point because of the strategic challenges that, that are going on, uh, you know, over there. Second largest vertical is actually uh, financial. That might not be uh, large financial institutions. That may not be much uh, of a surprise because they, they tend to be for for most software companies, uh, healthcare, life science issues. Retail, obviously, in consumer packaged goods is, is, is very, very big, uh, you know, for us for similar reasons because the digital transformation is, is so large in that part of the world. Of course, the whole advertising side, a very big thing over there uh, as well. Uh, you know, public sector software companies is a very large component uh, of our business because many, many software companies out there, and, and you'll see a lot of that um, at our summit event, are replatforming. Uh, you know, on top of Snowflake, Snowflake becoming a core part. Uh, you know, of their stack. So there's a lot of moving parts uh, in our world. We're really excited about progress uh, we have made. Uh, as a company that we, we no longer sell exclusively on architectural distinction, but we're, we really crossed over into the customer's business and really enabling their challenges, their outcomes, and it, it makes us a much uh, higher value added you know, partner than we historically have been when we were just focused on uh, you know, shifting and lifting workloads from, from on-premise to the cloud. Yeah. That's really helpful. And, Mike, if I could just squeeze in a really quick one, Again, your consumption model, and we're heading into the summer season. What do you think about it in terms of seasonality from just consumption over over the summer? I, you know, over the years, we've seen sort of booking trends uh, obviously way, you know come down a little bit in say the third quarter. Is there anything we should consider in terms of your full year guidance on, on that front? Um, first of all, it's factored into that, but there is no okay. 
You know, you see more seasonality on weekends, obviously, because there's not as many employees in the office, but a lot of our workloads still run on weekends, too, so it's not like it drops to zero. So clearly around holidays, you do, you do see some, but it's not a profound in terms of people taking vacation in the summer that you see a big drop-off in consumption. We really haven't seen that. Thank you all. Congrats. Our next question comes from the line of Carl Kierstead with UBS. Well, great. Thank you. Maybe two for uh, for Mike. Mike, any noticeable change in the revenue mix uh, between uh, Snowflake on AWS versus Snowflake on uh, Azure? And then I've got a quick follow-up. Um, I will still say AWS is still our biggest, but um, um, Azure from new bookings as we get into large enterprise, um, that continues to increase as a percent, but still AWS is far our biggest from new bookings. Yep. Okay, makes sense. And then, Mike, just as a follow-up, um, uh, interesting on the, the storage compression change and the, the delta in terms of the revenues. I'm just wondering whether that's uh, um, symbolic of any change in pricing strategy. Maybe you, Frank, and the team have a, a greater willingness now to pass these types of cost savings on to customers to drive future growth, or was this change a little bit more, you know, one-time-ish as opposed to a, you know, a, a real high-level pricing strategy change? Thank you. Well, I'll be transparent. I learned a lot in this process. So this is something the company has historically done about every two years. There's a, a big focus on new compression technology for storage, um, and the impact of it um, was bigger than we would have thought, and we only knew that once we actually um, got real live examples from customers. And um, our philosophy has always been to pass that on to customers. But there's other performance improvements as well. For instance, we're working on new chip technology that will dramatically increase performance or improve performance, so we do expect that to have an impact, and that's more of next year. Um, you'll see that, and we have always done that and continue to um, improve the performance of our product that goes directly to the benefit of our customers. Got it. Makes sense. Okay, thanks for that feedback. Our next question comes from the line of Greg Moskowitz with Mizuho. All right, congratulations, and thanks for taking the questions. Uh, I had a follow-up on secure data sharing. So as that ramps, naturally your consumption is going to rise by a lot, but so too will you know the complexity of all the data sets being shared and all kinds of intricate ways. And so I'm wondering, you know, do you have any concerns about maintaining a high level of security and governance uh, on the platform as that unfolds? Uh, it's Frank, uh, the answer is no, not really, um, because uh, you know data sharing is completely integral um, to our architecture. In other words, we're deploying the exact same security model that we deploy for for internal as we do for external security. So, as I said earlier, you know architecture uh, matters, and uh, this is one product that is just beautifully designed for doing exactly what it uh, what it does. Um, it is not a bolt-on. It's not a hack. Uh, it's just incredibly well implemented. So, so the answer would be no to your question. Okay, that's helpful. Thanks, Frank. And then a quick follow-up for Mike. So you mentioned that uh, EMEA bookings grew over 200%, Asia-Pac over 300 uh, Does this reflect acceleration? Can you say what uh, the growth looked like in, uh, in uh, fiscal 21? Um, what, what I will say is both EMEA and APAC exceeded their plan. They had very strong quarters. We saw um, a, a million dollar plus. It was actually a, a multi-million dollar 
deal we did in um, uh, EMEA with a big um, pharmaceutical company, um, and we landed a nice, very nice job, um, customer in um, Japan as well and saw very strong across the board, I would say, uh, performance in EMEA and APAC. All right, that's great. Thanks very much. Our next question comes from the line of Raymond Lenshaw from Barclays. Hey, thanks for speaking me, and congrats for me as well. Um, quick question: um, As you, um, Frank, as you uh, look into uh, the replacement cycle, and you kind of pointed out you're the the one that actually does it properly, where are you? What do you think around the partner capacity to help you there? You mentioned Deloitte already, obviously, as kind of one big one, but, you know, I assume, you know, just getting off a Teradata is actually quite a big job with kind of a lot of extra work involved. Where are you? How happy are you with the channel uh, there? And then I have one follow-up from Mike. Well, we're, uh, we're happy in, uh, in places. I highlighted uh, our relationship with, the, with Deloitte, uh, who is our lead partner. You know, they went from a standing start, you know, a little bit over a year ago to $100 million in business, which is an absolutely ripping, uh, you know, trajectory uh, that they're on. And it just shows you that uh, demand for these migrations is uh, is enormous. Uh, you know, we have a lot of engagement from uh, from all the other uh, big names out there, whether it's Capgemini or Infosys, obviously Accenture. Uh, and so on, uh, but they're all scrambling to certify, to staff, to provision. Um, our professional services organization is actually by far the best at this, and that's obviously a you know, logical consequence of the fact that because this is all we do. Um, so we're, uh, we're really using our, our own abilities to help leverage them you know, into the business. And uh, it's not easy because the ramp is so steep for, for everybody, and uh, we've got to make sure that we do an absolutely terrific job for our customers, because these migrations are not easy, uh, and they're not cheap. Uh, there's risk involved, uh, and so on. That's that's really the friction uh, in in the marketplace. So it's actually very welcome, uh, you know, that that the system integrators are leaning in as hard as uh, as they are. But the enablement, you know, for them to become you know really effective, large growing businesses uh, is sort of the day to day challenge that we have. But you know, I view it as all good work, you know, that we do. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Hey, good luck. And then, uh, Mike, the, the the storage compression, et cetera, like does that impact growth margins? Might be a stupid question, but like the you know, 72% is really, really high. So now everyone's wondering, like, how why did you, how did you manage to get so quickly there? And is there kind of more upside next year with compression, et cetera, or does it is it totally unrelated? Well, what I will say is the um, it does improve margins, and the way it improves margin is because storage becomes more efficient. Storage is a smaller component of the overall mix of the revenue, and compute is the real value of our software that drives more margin. Um, and, and I will say um, we did roll this out in April, and you do see some of that coming into an impact on last quarter. Um, but, um, um, you, you know, we did say at our IPO, if you remember, um, we thought we could get to the mid-70s. Um, I feel very good that we'll get to the mid-70s. It's going to take some time. And stay tuned for our investor day, and we'll talk more about that later. I would say the biggest improvement we've seen to date in the gross margin has really been the renegotiation of our contracts with our cloud vendors and the, the discipline in our sales organization around discounting. And coupled with the fact as we move into larger enterprises, 
we're selling more business critical and enterprise, which attract a higher contribution margin. Okay, thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Brent Gill with Jeffries. Mike, just on quota carrying reps this year, uh, if you're not given you know a number, can you just give us a sense of are you going to keep the same trajectory of growth you added last year, or try to get uh, more productivity out of the reps you added? Just just any color around uh, on the quota quota carrying side would be helpful. Thanks. Well, we don't disclose quota carrying reps, and what I will say is we're going to add about 1,200 net employees for the full year, and we do expect that we'll add about the same level into our sales organization this year as we did last year. So same number of absolute reps. Correct. Great. Thank you, Mike. Our next question comes from the line of DJ Hines with Canaccord Genuity. Hey, thanks. Uh, Frank, I wanted to ask about Snowflake Ventures. Um, you called out ThoughtSpot, DataIQ. I, I know Data Robots in the portfolio, so obviously, you know, analytics and ML, AI are, are logical targets. I'm curious, like, where else are you seeing interesting stuff happening in the ecosystem as it pertains to, you know, driving volumes to Snowflake? Yeah, areas uh, like governance, you know, obviously the you know, governance is, is just becoming such a huge aspect uh of data operations in, uh, in in large institutions. You know, when I say governance, it really relates to security as well as privacy uh, compliance. Um, so we actually you know, acquired a uh, company last year uh, by the name of Crypto Numerics, um, and that is now actually flowing into our, our platform. And we have the ability to anonymize PI data and you know things of that sort. Super, super important that uh, customers can really you know, feel safe, you know, on our platform. Uh, that you know, when they allow data on our platform, that it is fully, uh, fully governed. I mean, it's it's been a big issue, but it's literally grown in, in importance quarter on quarter. And a lot of our large customers are really organizing themselves to, uh, you know, to to maintain uh, that that kind of a posture. You know, there's sort of there's areas in data cataloging. I mean, there's a whole ecosystem, you know, around our, our platform. You know, what we like about investing is not just the upside uh, in, in terms of the investments, but, you know, we get to, uh, you know, build a closer relationship with these customers on the basis of the investments, uh, you know, much more seamless integrations, better customer uh, experiences. And that's what we like to do. I mean, we're very much, we're very much an ecosystem-oriented, uh, you know, company rather than we have one flavor and, and that's what you're going to use. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that the whole ecosystem, you know, feels like a like a very good experience to our, our customers. So, we we look for opportunities. We see a lot, and uh, we're, we're we're happy with the number of investments uh, that we've done. And uh, you know, we're looking at new stuff continually. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, obviously, some some good ones in the portfolio already. Um, Mike, follow up to you. So, Raymo asked about gross margins as it pertains to kind of storage compression technology. I, I was going to ask. If I think about the trajectory, it's kind of you guys expand into doing more with unstructured data. I think there are heavy demands on storage there. Like, how should we think about the trajectory of, of gross margins as we get to the that mid seventies target? I mean, is it is it fair to think they could dip in the interim, or, or what's what's the right way to think about that? Um, I don't see a dip happening in our product gross margins at all, but there is a limit to where you can get to. And as when we were going through our IPO, um, people were asking questions. I did, I did say I don't see us getting into the 80s. 
Um, I can see us a path to the mid-70s. We may one day be able to get into the high 70s, but given the storage component and um, we are passing through the, the costs associated with the public clouds are in there, it's pretty hard to get beyond that. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, thanks. Nice numbers, guys. Our next question comes from the line of Brad Reback with Stifel. Uh, great. Thanks very much. Mike, I think last quarter you talked about investment in FedRAMP. Can you maybe give us an update where you stand and you think the federal vertical could be a contributor in fiscal 2023? So there's um, FedRAMP High we're working on. ITAR is going to be out mid this year, FedRAMP High end of the year. Um, and obviously, if we didn't see a big opportunity, because there is a big cost associated with doing that, we wouldn't be doing it. And um, um, we have a very good pipeline within our um, the public sector, um, and we're very focused on it. Um, as of today, it's not a big driver of revenue, so that's a lot of upside there. Great. Thanks very much. Our next question comes from the line of Tyler Radke with City. Hey, thanks very much for taking my question. Uh, maybe to start with, with Frank, uh, I, I think earlier in the call you, you talked about how kind of the legacy data uh, data warehouse migration, um, you know, has, has been a really important go-to-market notion. Uh, I'm curious, given your focus on the data cloud, like are, are you changing at all in terms of the initial use case that, that you're leading with? Um, you know, perhaps given the success you're seeing with data sharing and, and data marketplace, do you, do you find that those are easier to, to perhaps land a new customer with, given that it's more greenfield and, and less of a, you know, large-scale uh, legacy database migration? Well, you know, the thing that happens is when, when people, uh, you know, move these, uh, these legacy workloads to the cloud and, you know, you're running a platform like Snowflake, you know, all of a sudden you're finding out, that you know, uh, workloads can run orders of magnitude faster. In other words, it's not like oh, after three weeks, you know, I've got populated my warehouse. I'm now populating the dashboard, running the reports. People are almost, you know, they've already moved on. But you know, by the time they get data, you know, when, when you accelerate that time frame, we often talk about this whole concept of the, the, the time value of data. If you get data, even you know, most of our customers are now on a 24-hour cycle. But that's now moving up, right, where, where people are seeing data in, in, in hours and minutes. And, you know, we're very aggressively working, you know, to event architectures where you get to sort of near, near real time, not, not, not in, the, in, the, in the computer science sense of real time, but in the visceral sense it's near real time. So you're, you're now uh, looking at data very differently than you did before, where you have to wait for days and weeks for it to see it. Now it's showing up very quickly. That completely changes people's perspective what they can do with it, right? And that's, that is what is so different, so different. That is enabled by the public cloud coupled, uh, you know, with, with Snowflake's architecture. That is what's, what's driving the consumption, the high net revenue retention rates, because people are, are discovering completely new use cases and things they can do that were never a consideration in, uh, in previous times. It's very important that, uh, you know, this whole static batch-oriented way of thinking we have in data warehouses completely different now, okay? Thanks. And then a, a follow-up for, for Mike. Uh, I know that the current you don't really have a, a current RTO because obviously it's a consumption-oriented model, but 
you know, in terms of your comments on the percentage of RPO that's expected to be recognized in the next 12 months, I just wanted to confirm, it seemed like that the growth in that number um, picked up um, quite a bit from, from the last few quarters. Um, so, so, number one, just wanted to confirm that uh, the growth rate on that number, and, and number two, just understand kind of the, the factors that drove what seems like a good um, bookings performance here in, in Q1. Um, well, it was a strong Q1 in bookings performance, and um, we estimate that 54% of that RPO roll off into revenue over the next 12 months, and it was 54%, 55% last quarter. Um, and um, uh, I don't know what else there is to say about that, but that's what we see it have, what, how we see it rolling off to revenue. Thank you. Our last question comes from the line of Camille Nazarek with William Blair. Hi, everyone. Uh, congrats on the great start to the year, and thanks for taking my question. Um, I, I have a follow-up on the targeted 1,200 headcount increase this year. Uh, can you update us on the execution to date, and should we expect that to be front-end loaded, and maybe could you provide uh, the split between the first half and the second half of the year? Well, as I said in the remarks, we onboarded 436 net employees in the first half of the year. And so 1,200 is definitely front and loaded. Um, we always try to add a lot of people into our sales and marketing organization in the, in the first month of the year to take, get the benefit of our sales kickoff. Um, but I, I um, definitely we're going to continue to add um, in the first half. Is um, It's going to be more skewed to that. That's helpful. And um, you, you've delivered incredible RPO growth over the past uh, it's been over 200%, I guess, for the past few years now. Uh, can you provide an update on contract duration, how that's changing? Is that um, uh, something being pushed by your sales team, or is that just a function of more penetration uh, at the enterprise level? Thank you. Well, last year was the first year we really incentivized our sales force to sell multi-year contracts. And what I would say is now it's getting more into the – normal um, sales motion of our salespeople, it's more natural for them to be going in and asking customers to sign a three-year contract. Historically, um, we used to sell one-year contracts only. Um, and so we still do have renewals and customer. There are still some customers on renewals that only want to do a one-year renewal because that's what they've always done. And there are some customers, especially ones where they're new customers, they'll want to do a, a, a one-year contract because they want to get to know us more. Generally, those newer customers we're finding on renewals are doing the multi-year renewals with us as they're, um, they're seeing everything they can do on Snowflake. So, um, but that's fully reflected in our RPO. Oh, thanks, uh, thank you, and uh, congrats again. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. We thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.